If you like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you. Of a farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. And this is the Goblins and Growlers podcast. Yes! I'm Brandon at Way of Brandalore. I'm Josh at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. Josh, you know what we're talking about today? I, I'm aware of what we're talking about today. What was that? We're going to be talking a lot about Orson Welles. All right. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about uh, the ill-fated 1981 Milton Bradley board game Dark Tower and its uh, upcoming resurrection at the hands of Restoration Games, who are right now sort of most well known for um, uh, bringing back Fireball Island. But uh, Orson Welles, uh, Charles Foster Kane himself, uh, and Unicron from the Transformers movie uh, has quite a part to play in the legend of Dark Tower. <laughs> yes, always. Yes. Um, so we've t- you and I have talked about this before. Um, this is kind of a lost episode of the podcast because we talked about it once a long time ago, but then the audio was garbage, so we had to trash it. So we're, yeah. we're sort of revisiting it now. We I I don't even remember what we did that was so wrong in the process of recording i actually i do remember we recorded now. it on one audio track we recorded it on one audio track i think via zoom yeah and it, it was not good it was a real bad scene <laughs> it was a real bad scene but anyways john refresh me on what you remember about uh dark tower all right so let me let me take you into my mind palace so Dark Tower is a board game. Uh, it was around in the it was, it was either late 70s or early 80s. 1981. And the game is hey. my age. And the concept of the game was that there was a kind of a computer in the middle of the board. And you and up to three other players were all trying to kind of defeat a high fantasy scenario in a race against each other. It was a little bit cooperative, but also mostly competitive. And you were trying to defeat the Dark Tower. And so, like, the board itself was built around the central computer, which would display little light up images of like what you were encountering and what you were having to deal with. Yeah. And then you would try to navigate those difficulties. Yeah. I just want to emphasize that when you say display in this context for this 40 year old consumer computer, you really <laughs> need to put quotes around it because it inv- <laughs> so the tower and like, please, if any, if nobody knows what we're talking about, please go look up pictures of it. Cause it'll make it very clear. But, Better yet, go pull up the YouTube Orson Welles Dark Tower commercial because it'll make it really clear and you'll get to listen to Orson Welles talk about it. Unicron himself. Uh, 
<laughs> he was on, I think it was Dick Cavett, uh, maybe like a few weeks before he died. Unicron in the Transformers movie was his last role before he died. And he's like, yes, I play a giant robot that eats planets. Yes. <laughs> but um, anyway, it's a circular board. Um, it's essentially got four different lands on it that are separated by like a borders. And in the very center of it, like Josh said, there's this quote unquote computer. Uh, it's a, a tower. Uh, it's a plastic tower. And inside it, there's a, a little microcomputer, which probably is, you know, I'm just guessing here, probably about as powerful as the one we sent to the moon <laughs> uh, since it was, you know, 1981. But there it had light bulbs in it. And for the display, it would have it had um, essentially translucent stickers on it. And depending on what the computer was trying to tell you, uh, it would light up a particular um, square to tell you like, oh, OK, well, you know, this is happening. This is happening. You found a sword, you found treasure, etc. So you would like make a move and you would punch a button on the computer that told that said like, OK, I've made a move and then it would process or whatever. And then I guess through like a randomizer, like a random number generator or something, it would determine if you made like a safe move or if you got attacked by brigands or something or if you felt ill or something like that. Each of the four, like all of the four, quote unquote, like countries have different little counties in them. And you just go from space to space. There's like a temple in each of them. There's a bazaar where you can go to buy um, supplies or hire people for your armies and things like that. And it's all done with this weird push button interface with uh, with the computer. It's so retro and primitive. It's just kind of hilarious to watch people play this game now. So. Something that I thought was kind of interesting is, as I recall, neither of us has seen a fully operable, intact copy of this game in the wild ever. And there's a very good reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> because the game was prematurely pulled from distribution because basically Milton Bradley stole it. So like these two guys had this great idea for a game with us, like using computer technology that in the late seventies, early eighties was really starting to develop on a consumer level. And they're like, Oh man, wouldn't it be awesome if uh, we were able to develop a board game around this? So they wrote up a little prospectus of it uh, and they took it to Milton Bradley and Milton Bradley is like, yeah, thanks for coming in, but no, we don't think this will fly. Well then lo and behold, not too long after that, <laughs> Milton Bradley released a game that involved a computer in a central tower on a board that controlled the game. And these guys very rightfully were like, we are suing you, Milton Bradley. And the judge was like, yes, Milton Bradley, pay them seven hundred thousand dollars, which if you adjust for inflation is like two million dollars in damages. Good God. Yeah. So Milton Bradley had to pull the game. So it had a very limited production run, which, of course, makes it super rare now. Every once in a while, I'll pop on eBay to see what what sort of the market is for it. I think I looked earlier today. There was a used complete set for about two hundred and forty dollars. I've seen them as high as six hundred dollars looking on eBay. And it's it's just wild. And like the battery can go dead in the thing because this is before you had like rechargeable stuff, which I'm, I'm sure 
the one that Restoration Games releases is going to be rechargeable <laughs> because that just makes sense. You know, the battery could go bad, the bat- like the battery casing could uh, like start to rust or your batteries could leak or something. It was very easy for this thing to go bad and it costs a fortune. Um, it was, I, I believe if you adjust for inflation, like the manufacturer suggested retail price for the game when it was out was north of a hundred dollars. I'd have to look some more because I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I feel like it was super expensive. I just recall having some friends whose parents were like a, a little better to do than mine growing up. And so they had like all kinds of neat, cool toys and they had a copy of this, but it was like the box was really messed up. And I was like, oh, what is this? This sounds so cool. And then they're like, yeah, don't don't bother getting any of that out because it is super broken. And I was like, well, like, is it something where like, does it just need batteries? Like, is it? And they're like, no, 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 it is <laughs> super broken. <laughs> I just uh, while you were talking, I pulled up uh, something from the New York Times archives it's from September 23rd, 1981. Uh And it's like the battle for the electronic game market is beginning to get intense. And Milton Bradley is showing its hands with all the hoopla of a highly orchestrated advertising campaign. Uh, And then it goes on to talk about uh, its new entry, a combination computer board game called Dark Tower. The company is talking as if it had a winner. Dark Tower, which carries a retail price of fifty five dollars to sixty five dollars. Josh, you can do the inflation calculation on that while I continue reading over this Uh, has already been in stores for three or four weeks. And the results, said Milton Bradley, senior vice president for sales, are more than encouraging. But some stores are not optimistic about the game's chances. Manager, the manager of Toys International in Century City said that the game was way overpriced and he predicted a much better seller would be Mattel's Dungeons and Dragons, a highly popular board game that is roughly the same price. Uh, For those of you playing along at home, if it was at the $55 price, that would be $166 today. The $65 price puts it just shy of $200 at $196.15. Barbara Isger, a toy industry analyst for Payne Weber, said that Dark Tower was one of the few, quote, outstanding new 1981 electronic games, but added that so far this has been a rough year for electronic toys and Dark Tower won't be enough to bail out the rest of Milton Bradley's not very exciting electronic games. And this and this, of course, says nothing because this isn't even at the point with the lawsuit and the game getting yanked from stores. Yeah, well, I imagine those two guys started to see news articles like these and they were like, hey, wait a minute. Wow. Once the game had been bastards, once the game had been designed and a program chosen for the computer inside the tower, it took nine months to make an electronic chip. And the (laughs) the game, I'll see, because of the interesting because of its intricate program, the game cost perhaps $200,000 more than usual, a total of $750,000 to $1 million for development. Good God. Oh, man. I, like, I'll stop reading this New York Times story in just a minute. But um, it, talking about um, the uh, going up against Dungeons and Dragons, um, continuing the campaign blitz, Milton Bradley plans to bring its new game to the east at the Cloisters in Upper Manhattan tomorrow. Dark Tower's development started in January 1979. We wanted a game that would cater to a market that already existed, Dungeons and Dragons. That made it one step easier. With other games, we're trying to create the market. Dark Tower will not attract the Dungeons and Dragons aficionado, but that's a small, intense market. 
We wanted the next level down. People who had heard about D&D but didn't want to be Dungeons and Dragons freaks. <laughs> oh, no. Is that what we are? I mean, this was like satanic panic era for Dungeons and Dragons. Are we the Dungeons and Dragons freaks now? I think we are. We're talking about this and Dungeons and Dragons on a podcast. But <laughs> but anyway, so so that's sort of the 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 nickel tour of the history of Dark Tower. Uh, those guys developed it in the late 70s, pitched it to Milton Bradley. Milton Bradley said no. And then Milton Bradley was like Milton Bradley was like that meme of that person who like it's the two frames. And at first they're skeptical and then they're like, oh, <laughs> Oh, I was I was thinking it was the uh, the other meme where someone who's dressed like an engineer walks in and is like, this is my idea. And they hand it to the person and the person goes, this is your idea. And then one one still frame and then the engineer disappears and the person holding the object is like, this is my idea. That is also applicable. <laughs> that's also applicable. But anyways, that's why the game's so hard to find uh, because of all that BS and it ended up getting yanked from the market. So it's just it's like it's impossible, like before Restoration Games announced that they were going to do like the Dark Tower Returns uh, or excuse me, Return to Dark Tower, which I tweeted at them the other day to ask when it was going to be released, because this has kind of been on a slow boil for a couple of years, like since 2018. And I think they said they were targeting Q1 of 2022. So hopefully within the next five months, we should see Return to Dark Tower, which will probably cost a hundred and sixty five dollars. I mean, that seems fairly realistic. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting that the uh, the complex computer equipment can be a little less wild these days. But also, uh, if I recall correctly, they're going to use an app along yeah. with the game that helps. Like you don't need like phones for everybody, but you can have phones for everybody. Yeah, I and don't it, think that the tower has the same kind of interface as it did in ye olden times, uh, because it's going to have um, like app interactive app and Wi-Fi interactivity. Like, sir, you could probably power this thing with an Arduino. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a very small, very basic computer that's in it. Um, I'm seeing not Wi-Fi, but Bluetooth for mm -hmm. the connection. Uh, and then some micro switches and a couple of rotation drums. So it's still going to it's still going to be cool. It's still going to do cool stuff, but it's also going to be a lot less breakable. Yeah, I love that the rotation drums are in there. One of my favorite things about watching a clip of people playing, watching clips of people playing this game is like they do their input and then it gets ready to go to the next player. And all of a sudden the tower is like, <laughs> like rotating to the next person. It's hilarious. You know, talking about the rarity of the game, it's so rare that before Restoration talked about talked about their plans to um, re-release the game, the next best option really was um, a 2017 mod to Board Game Simulator. Uh, and some guy, uh, there's a YouTube video, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but he's basically like, I finally did it. All I had to do was teach myself Lua, Blender, and Unity. <laughs> and then build like do all the animations and do the asset bundling and i was able to create dark tower in uh in board game simulator all it took was learning yeah. three programming languages <laughs> yeah tabletop simulator excuse me not board game simulator but uh it's like it's 3d 
you um you can go all the way around the the table and everything like that it's got a very very accurate representation of the tower you can interact with it and everything it's it's crazy like it's crazy good like there's a um he's posted like a 40 minute video showing the gameplay of it i've watched the whole thing before and it's just fascinating like the fact that he wanted to do this so much that he taught himself all this stuff so he could do it is fantastic real quick because i can feel people tweeting at me at this very moment i know blender is not a programming language it is more of a like 3d modeling program i'm aware i'm aware you don't have to tweet me it's still something you got to teach yourself there's a huge like change log on this thing uh and he's uh, like made tweaks between the actual tabletop version and the game the version of the game in simulator but it's totally worth checking out it's kind of amazing and it gives you a super great flavor for how the game in its sort of classic state would have been played because obviously the restoration games version is going to be a little bit different just because they're modernizing it i mean i think it's i think it's fair to say that probably quite a few people in our audience already have tabletop simulator could probably go download this mod and see if it's something that is of interest to them and then uh if it is go keep their eyes on that their restoration games plan to uh, get their get their hands on a nice physical copy yeah i want to call out the person who did the tabletop simulator version their name is uh Gazox Tahagen, G-A-Z-O-X-T-A-H-A-G-E-N. Do you think that's their given name? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. All right. Uh, but you can get it on Steam. It's again, it's very worth checking out. But I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to this game coming out. I've never, you know, obviously had a chance to play the original, like in my hands kind of thing, because I'm not gonna pay six hundred dollars for this thing. I'm not going to pay $600 for a 40 year old electronic board game. That's like, that's like if I like, I guess an analog would be like if I paid $200 for electronic battleship from like 1988 or something like that. I mean, it still used a computer. Yeah. I just, I'm trying to think, is there something from my childhood that I would drop like 200, $300 for, to have in my possession once more the only thing i can think of is if i like really wanted to have like an old nes i've uh it's about it's about it well i'll tell you what josh uh if you want to drop 300 dollars on an old nes have i got a cardboard box with some stuff in it for you (laughs) i have nowhere to put such a thing and most of those games are emulated by the company itself at this point anyway well if you ever want to give me three hundred dollars i've got it (laughs) i was actually gonna say that in mind i was actually gonna say a super nintendo because um i years ago donated my super nintendo to like goodwill or something like that but like i now wish that i had it i have i have some great news for you if you've got cartridges you're trying to play there's something called a retron go check it out yeah it's it's worth the money yeah, I do have my Nintendo 64 and I've got a bunch of cartridges for that. So that satisfies me with like Mario Kart 64 and GoldenEye right now. I mean, I can I know this is an audio medium, but every time we meet, I I the GoldenEye 007 cartridge that sits on the shelf in view behind you. Yes. Yeah, right. Right now it's behind my mic arm. But uh, 
I know I what it. it is. I can tell. I love that game so much. I love that game so much. But um, let's talk a little bit about the the Dark Tower commercial. Oh, God, yes. That you alluded to. Uh, I am going to drop the audio for it in here, but I do in, you know encourage everybody to go <laughs> watch it because it's just so... If you just look at it from a very objective perspective, it's kind of balls out stupid. Uh, and I'll, I'll drop the audio in here. Last night, I journeyed backwards in time to the medieval world of Dark Tower. In this amazing game, I had to find three keys, lay siege to the tower, and defeat the enemy within. Each move was a challenge. The computer kept track, giving me secret information, pictures, sounds, surprises. Then, ahead of my opponent, I made my move. The battle was joined, and I was victorious. Dark Tower. So yeah, it's a bunch of haunting nonsense with um, Charles Foster Kane talking about playing this board game and watching that commercial. My favorite thing to think about is just the idea, because obviously he never played the game because this this is when Orson Welles would advertise anything for money. And just the idea of him in his tuxedo drinking some Palmasan wine uh, playing Dark Tower is just the most hilarious thing to me. A, a game, by the way, which is purported to have a playtime of 100 to 120 minutes. So Orson Welles sits down at a table for an hour and a half to two hours. He did no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> he did no such thing. But yeah, like Orson Welles, uh, he at this point in his career, he was trying to self-fund a lot of movies because he was so fed up with this with studios that he told friends he was just like, it's amazing. I go work for a day and I get a check and then I go and I put that toward whatever project I'm trying to work on right now. He did. Gosh, he did some candy bars. He did a camera. I mean, the, mo the most famous one is the Palmasan wine commercial where he's just so blitzed drunk during it. And it just starts off like, ah, the French champagne. <laughs> but yeah, he did commercials for Eastern Airlines, frozen peas, uh, which I alluded to at the beginning of this. And I know Josh has some questions about Orson Welles and various cartoon rodents. What? Um, it's something that came up right before we started the recording, because, of course, Brandon broke out his uh, immaculate Orson Welles impression. Yes, always. Yes. And anytime he starts in on that, I always want to immediately go to, are you pondering what I'm pondering, Pinky? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> It's got me wondering, like, did did Maurice LaMarche, uh, was that supposed to be like kind of an over the top Orson Welles and then developed into its own thing? No, it was not supposed to be an over the top Orson Welles. It was supposed to be Orson Welles. <laughs> Maurice La like Maurice LaMarche has talked a number of times about how much he loves doing his Orson Welles impression. And I have watched so many videos of Maurice LaMarche. For those who don't know, Maurice LaMarche, famed voice actor, who's uh, he um, was the voice of the chief in Inspector Gadget uh, before taking over the role from Don Adams. 
He's the brain. He's Morbo from Futurama. If there is an animated show in the last 25 to 30 years, he has been in it. Yeah, he's one of he's one of those voice actors who you for sure have heard like a half dozen of their roles. Mm -hmm. And you just don't you don't realize it's the same person. But um, when he was getting started in voice acting, I've heard him tell this story a couple times back in the day, uh, pre-internet, there was a lot of like tape trading that went on with voice actors. Some people may be familiar with William Shatner doing uh, some uh, recording for I think it was a commercial or something like that. But he just goes off on somebody and it's he, it's just a notorious thing for him. But there's also uh, and this is almost verbatim sort of how Maurice LaMarche tells the story. It's like this great piece of tape from Orson Welles from uh, this frozen peas commercial. You know, one of those things where Welles was hired to come in and do the voiceover for this because he's Orson Welles. He's got the voice. But at this point, he was, you know, capital O Orson Welles. Like he was well known. War of the Worlds, Citizen Kane, all that stuff. And he very much resented the idea that somebody was going to be directing him in this peas commercial. So he's like, we know of a farm where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. And then the the, the director interrupts like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Orson. I'm sorry, Orson. Could you... Could you put the emphasis on like, could you say in, could you put the emphasis on in July? He's like, in July, there's no known way in an English sentence to emphasize in ahead of July. And then he, <laughs> and he's like, get me a jury. Show me, show, show me how you can emphasize in before July. And he's like, I don't, I, I don't know. I'll go down on you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so the director is just like, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm uh, uh. It just spirals out from there. And it, it's I mean, it's hilarious. It's hilarious to listen to. Maurice LaMarche used that for his like vocal warm ups. Like he's said this at cons and stuff like that. If ever they're doing like if they were doing a Futurama recording or just anything and there was like a lull while they were waiting to get started or something like that, he would just be like, we know of a farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. And he knows the whole thing by heart because he's done it a blue billion times in his life. <laughs> so he just he just goes through that. And um, when he went to audition for The Brain, I'm trying to remember the story for it. He went to audition for Animaniacs. He looked at it. He's like, oh, they drew that. They drew that mouse to look like Orson Welles. So that's why. So I'm going to do my Orson Welles voice for this and come to find out they actually drew it based on the guy on the Warner Brothers lot. Since he thought it was supposed to be Orson Welles, he just went straight to that voice. That's just his straight up Orson Welles impression. There is no oh nothing done to it. Yeah, it's really cool. Some people have probably seen this if you're familiar with Animaniacs, but there's also an episode of Pinky and the Brain that makes fun of the frozen peas commercial because it has brain coming in to record a frozen peas commercial. And Pinky is the guy in the control room trying to direct him. <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on and on. It's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. But yes, uh, Maurice LaMarche is straight up doing <laughs> an Orson Welles impression. God, that's amazing. I, I'd not known that, but I also... I don't know. I hadn't tracked as much like Orson Welles stuff. Like I listened to War of the Worlds as mm -hmm. as vocally performed by Orson Welles, which, by the way, 
is a chilling performance. Like mm -hmm. you can a hundred percent see why people in an era before, like when you would get most of your news from radios, if you miss that initial broadcast, mm -hmm. you're like, I'll Oh God. I'll tell you a fun fact. Uh, in the movie Ed Wood, when uh, Johnny Depp's Ed Wood character meets Orson Welles at like, I think it was the Brown Derby. Orson Welles is played by Vincent D'Onofrio. But in post-production, they hired Maurice LaMarche to come in and overdub D'Onofrio's lines because to hear Maurice LaMarche tell it, D'Onofrio had this interpretation of Orson Welles with this kind of strange, wispy voice. And it sounded like haunting. And they're like, no. So they just hired Maurice LaMarche to come in and do ADR for it. So if you watch that scene, you can like and knowing that you're like, oh, yeah, they very clearly ADR the voice on that. That's Maurice LaMarche talking. And that's 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 like pre law and order Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, he is. Maurice LaMarche is Hollywood's go to Orson Welles. Oh, my God. I don't I don't honestly, I want to end the episode right there because it's so good. I mean, OK. <laughs> um, so let's recap real quick. Uh, Restoration Games, their um, dark, their return to Dark Tower is coming out, hopefully Q1 of 2022. If you want any more information, you can at them at Restoration Game. They responded to me very quickly when I had my question. And and go check out their other work. Like we talked about Fireball Island and we talked about Dark Tower. They do like they've got downforce they've got some original stuff that they've done there's a lot of really cool stuff on their website so even if dark tower you're like eh, i don't know that i want to get into this you may find other things that you are very excited about in their library yeah and uh, if you want to learn more about orson wells you can follow maurice lamarche on twitter at maurice lamarche <laughs> the pinned post on his twitter is from january 4th 2018 and it is uh orson wells related oh my god <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm super looking forward to Dark Tower. I probably will spend the money to pick it up when it comes out, honestly, just because it's so it's such an interesting little bit of gaming history of, you know, sort of Dungeons and Dragons adjacent history, because it was supposed to be something that was supposed to eat into the D&D market a little bit. That's sort of an interesting perspective, too. They saw this as a way to, like, drill down and snipe some of the D&D market or some of like the people who weren't going to buy the D&D books and become quote unquote a freak. But if you think about it, like for about the same amount of money, you could get all the replayability of of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and this game is cool, but I'm sure after you play it a dozen times, it starts to feel a little bit repetitive, even though the computer helps randomize things. Right. Bare minimum, the original, I'm sure, was a little repetitive. And then on top of that, at the amount of money we're talking about, I'm pretty sure you could buy the entire Dungeons and Dragons set, uh, several battle maps, mini figures for your entire party. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's where we are. Sorry, thanks for listening to our Orson Welles podcast today. Um, I'm uh, Brandon at Way of Brandalore. I'm Josh at Black Cloak DM. Yes, always yes. tune into the Goblins and Growlers podcast. <laughs> We'll catch you all next time. Bye, y'all. Hey, all you great and gorgeous goblins. Uh, just a note, we're planning on releasing episodes of the Goblins and Growlers podcast bi-weekly for the time being, but we got plenty of content ready to go weekly. We just don't have time to edit it. 
If we were able to get the Patreon a bit higher, wink, wink, we could pay a part-time audio engineer to edit these episodes for us and turn them around faster and get you weekly content. So, you know, I'm not telling you what to do, but <coughs> patreon.com slash goblinscrawlers. <coughs>